On everybody here, building fellowship with one another. Uh, but some, sometimes people can't get here for whatever reason, or they're just looking for another place to, another time to worship. So that's 11.15. Every Wednesday, beginning this Wednesday, uh, hopefully that's going to be about 30 minutes. And then we'll, we'll move over to the youth room and have some coffee and, and time for a little bit of Bible study, depending on who's, who's able to stick around for that. Also coming up this Saturday, Oktoberfest from 3 to 7. Uh, I expect um, a lot of the same crowd as before, a lot of basically you guys, all the regulars. Um, but also we're, we're intentionally targeting some of the school families to um, try to build some community with them. And really, we don't have a lot of great opportunity to do that. So for those of you who like, came to the auction here, um, it's like we've got we, this, this, uh, this community. We have so many people, like young people with preschool kids, and they're, they're conservative Christians, but they don't go to church anywhere. And so they, they, they bring their kids here because they want their kids protected from the crazy stuff in the public schools, but they don't actually have a church home. And they don't really care. They're not looking for a church home, right? So the idea is, hey, we got these people coming to the school anyway, um, and they, they, they certainly seem to agree with our biblical conservative view of things. So uh, try to invite them to stuff and, and invite them to church and have them learn more about what we confess as a church. So, um, but really, how many of them are actually going to come? Who knows? Most, most importantly, it's still going to be fellowship with you guys. So it's opportunity for bratwurst and beer and trivia. Um, if you're interested in that from before, Mike Teske indicated that... Um, not like no one has signed up for trivia. And my experience as a pastor of Bethany, no one signs up for anything ever. <laughs> you, you people are terrible at RSVPing for everything, um, but you still come and that's fine. So, no, so if you want to play trivia, just, just come, right? Come and, and p- plug in somewhere if you can. Like I know we're gonna, there's different ways, that, a million different ways you can sign up to, to serve. But really when you show up and if you can, if you can, like, I don't know, watch the bouncy house for a few minutes, so whoever was watching the bouncy house can go grab a bratwurst, um, spare, you know, just kind of pl- jump in somewhere like you would in your own in your own family reunion, right? You kind of get together and hop in where you can and, and get to chat with folks. That's the idea. Um, uh, and and also we're looking for um, looking for some some nominees for our boards. I mentioned this in previous weeks. I, I really intentionally um, want you guys, my, my Bible study attendees, and there's other Bible studies as well, but it, those who are like learning God's word are the ones that, that I want having these leadership roles in the church, which are unfortunately necessary on this side of heaven, the left-hand kingdom of figuring out um, how to cut the grass or what, when to replace the HVAC and, and what to do with money when someone leaves you a big endowment or with all this kind of stuff. So, um, you do not want me and Schumacher and Barton's doing all that stuff. Probably not. <laughs> We'd end up with disaster. So uh, get involved if you would. If you're interested in that, uh, learning more about where you can plug in there, let me know. Now, today is, is uh, Luke. We have a, a, a perfectly overlapping Bible study topic with our, um, with our gospel reading today with the rich man and Lazarus, which is the carries the theme of the day. And our hymns, I wanted to take a moment to highlight a couple of our hymns in case I don't have time to get to them later. Um, the hymnody, the, both the hymn of the day and the closing hymn today are probably, the, 
I would say, some of the best and richest hymns that we have as the Lutheran Church, I would even say as the Christian Church, um, in, in confessing the, with a clarity the gospel, but also, and this is where the, the, Lutherans, the Lutheran view of, the, the, of uh, suffering is so much different than what the world is taught. So if you happen to ever turn on the TV and just listen to Joel Osteen or watch Joel Osteen, he's, I mean, he's easy to pick on, but he's, he's quite effective at he's clear and concise and heretical. Uh, which makes him very dangerous because you can listen to him. Hey, that sounds really good. It's interesting. And then you kind of walk away with his main thing. We would accuse of being the theology of glory. That is, um, God wants God. God wants to bless you today. Can I get an amen? Uh, if you you just you just if you'll just get out of the way, uh, you can live. You want to live every day like a Friday. I mean, so Fridays are nice. I like the idea of living every day like a Friday. So what Joel Osteen is trying to do is remove from you this idea that I'm a poor, miserable sinner and that I'm fully dependent upon God's mercy every day. And as much as I could do all the right things, I'm still going to be drawn back to my sin, which I need to confess. And my life is still going to be full of crossings and burdens and sorrows. So when, when the, the, we always say the theology of glory does you no good on the sickbed. It has no place in the hospital. Um, churches that are masterful in the theology of glory don't actually visit their own people. Uh, this is some interesting conversation we've had at pastor's meetings. It was like, it seems like sometimes a church gets really, really big and the pastor's role is to be like this um, like the top of a pyramid scheme, like a motivational speaker, a leader that's supposed to try to encourage groups to get together. But when you go to the hospital, it's not my job. Your job is to go to the hospital. So I have a special team of people that go to the hospital. But my job is to like motivate and inspire you to live a better life and to have more joy in your life. So I'm not actually there holding someone's hand. So if on Sunday I'm, I'm preaching, you know, if, if, you, if you pray the right way and, and, and spare your, or rid your life of certain sins, and things will go well for you. So then you're burying this person on Monday who seems to have done all the right things and has been praying faithfully all the time and things are not going well, right? That's what we call the theology of the cross is that the gospel is true, especially in our times of suffering. Not uh, that the cross, if we, have faith, if we have enough faith in the cross, then our lives will be free of suffering. After all, God loves you and he's all powerful, right? So if God's loving and all powerful, why does he not take your cancer away? Right? So God, if God really loves me, then he will take suffering away. The problem is God's love for us is shown most directly in what? John 3, 16. For God so loved. And I've done this for you guys before, I know, but this is not that he, he so loved. As like, it's a, it's a, a modifier, an exaggerator. He really, really, really loved. It's that God, God loved the world in this way. So God's love is seen for us not on our terms, that if you, if you really love me, then you'll do what I tell you to do, right? You'll play ball according to my rules, God. 
So if you really love me, you need to take away the disease and give me all the things that I'm praying for. And if you don't, then you either don't love me or you don't exist. See? So that what the scriptures are teaching us is God loves the world in this way that he, what? Gave his only son. So the love of God is seen not in a lack of suffering, but precisely in the greatest of sufferings. See the flip? So we, in the midst of our sufferings, we know all the more that God is with, that he suffered for us. He now suffers with us. He, suffer, he's, he loves us in spite of our suffering and because of our suffering. So it's not that God, God loves you so much that he wants to take your cancer away. It's that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die so that your cancer is not eternal. See? So he did solve the problem. He has taken the cancer away eternally. Uh, just not on your terms or on your, on your time, right? So as we call the theology of the cross, which our closing hymn today, Why Should Cross and Trial Grieve Me, has a couple of lines that if you didn't catch them, I mean, take your bulletin home, uh, grab one on the way out if you want to early service and, and study these hymns. So listen, to this. this is Paul Gerhard, uh, one of the greatest Lutheran hymn writers and um, if I, if I get it right, he either had five or six kids. He lived during the 30 years war and he had to bury his wife and five of his six children to either war or disease. And he writes some of the best hymns that we have of joy in the face of suffering, right? So the hymn, why should cross and trial grieve me? Well, I'll tell you why cross and trial should grieve you because they're terrible. Who wants, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Cross? Let's think about that for a second. We use cross, oh, I guess it's my cross to bear. Well, what do you really mean? Like cross, like nail your hands to this thing, rip out your arms to the socket, and so you slowly suffocate? That's how you die on a cross. So the idea of a cross is suffering. Why should cross and trial grieve me? Christ is near with his cheer. Never will he leave me. And that's, that's Psalm 23, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. So we walk in a world of darkness and suffering and the, and the, and the shadow that's cast on this world is a shadow cast by death, hence the valley. Think about that beautiful picture in Psalm 23. I walk, I'm walking through a valley of a shadow. So the valley's all covered in a shadow and the shadow is that the sun is being blocked by this big mountain over here, which is death. So as I'm walking through this valley, I'm looking around, and I'll, around me on all sides, I see death. And the death, the existence, the presence of death around me has made this valley a shadow. It's actually dimmed the brightness of the light. It's, it's why winter, the, the endless winter of Illinois is so annoying. But then when spring finally comes, it's like you feel happy again. The grass is so green when light shines on it. But it's like six months went by and I never saw the green grass, partly because it was covered in snow, especially in my backyard, like the entire universe. He's the sun, right? But finally the light, when light hits it, the, 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 the brightness and the richness of the world is seen. And yet what, what we're saying in Psalm 23 is that the brightness and richness and the, the fullness of what this world is to be is made dim by the, the death. And that's, our, I mean, we know that to be true. So the, the inevitability of death, the fact that it's out there and looming near, uh, but then also 
it, it creeps into our own lives and the lives of our loved ones and robs us of joy. That's Psalm 23. Even though I'm walking through this valley, I fear no evil because he is with me. So why should cross and trial grieve me? Christ is near with his cheer. Never will he leave me. Who can rob me of the heaven that God's son for me won when his life was given? When life's troubles rise to meet me, though their weight may be great, they will not defeat me. God, my loving savior, sends them. What? How does that sentence work? When life's troubles rise to meet me, though their weight may be great, they won't defeat me because God, my loving Savior, he's the one who sent those troubles. Well, this is, this is Lutheran bondage of the will. Um, he, he, doesn't he have the power to stop them? So if he doesn't stop them and he could have, what's the difference? Whether he caused it or not, Right? He who knows all my woes knows how best to end them, which might be death. And death is absolutely terrible. And yet, what has he done? What has the Lord done to death? And that's going to be the last time or the last stanza. God gives me my days of gladness, and I will trust him still when he sends me sadness, when he sends me sadness. That's a package I don't want from UPS. God is good. His love attends me day by day. Come what may, he guides me and defends me. From God's joy, not the world's perspective of joy, but from God's joy can nothing sever. For I am his dear lamb, Psalm 23, he my shepherd ever. I am his because he gave me his own blood for my good by his death to save me. Now in Christ, That's Romans 6, baptized into Christ. Now in Christ, death cannot slay me. So so this is the the beauty of the the baptismal confession that we have. I'm baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ. Just as he has risen from the dead, so will I. So now in Christ, death cannot slay me, though it might day and night trouble and dismay me. So it gnaws, it gums at us, it annoys, it's just this pesky mosquitoes of death. Christ has made my death a portal from the strife of this life to his joy immortal. So that the hymn's kind of building up to the worst that the world can throw at me, which is ultimately death, which Jesus has transformed. This is a hymn written in the, in the, in the bunkers of suffering for us. Um, in our lives of, of oh, hopefully often joy, but no matter what, how much joy your, your life has, this is back at Joel Osteen, at, the, at some point, you're, we know we're going to face death unless Jesus comes back. Suffering and death come. And what does the Lord, if the Lord, if, he, if we're operating on the assumption that God loves me and that's why I've got this, I got this job that's so great because I really prayed hard and I did all the right things and now I got this great job and I got a raise and everything's going well. I got the girl in my dreams and, and the family is happy and healthy. And everybody, everything's perfect. Um, but eventually... What happens when the cross comes? What if you don't have all those things? Does God love you any less? Well, he does if you think that God's love is shown for you only in earthly pleasure or joy or getting all the, getting, walking up to the vending machine of life and putting in your money and hitting the button and wanting the candy bar that you asked for. But God's, God's love for, for us isn't, isn't shown to us in the vending machine of giving us what we want, but he shows us his love in his way. 
So God loves the world in this way. He, he's given us his son. So I know that he loves me, not by looking at my life. And what could be more true than for Lazarus to pray that? From today's gospel reading, Lazarus, who's, who's got covered in sores, he's licked by the dogs, he's got nothing, he's, he's uh, jobless and, and dependent on the crumbs of the rich man, and, and knows nothing but woe, and yet he has all that he needs, right? So then the hymn of the day, Lord, thee I love with all my heart, another great Reformation hymn, uh, Lord, thee I love with all my heart, I pray thee ne'er from me depart, with tender mercy cheer me. I pray thee, never from me depart. That's the same theme of why should cross and trial grieve me? Christ is near with his cheer. This, this idea of the good shepherd being with me in the valley of the shadow. This is why we make such a big deal. Uh, we make, Jesus makes a big deal about baptism. He puts his name upon us and he's promised, I am what? With you always. I am with you always. So he's baptized us into his name Yes, he's washed away my sins, which is key, but he's also put his name upon me. And God's name is his presence. So I know that no matter where I go or what I'm facing, he is with me in this situation. With tender mercy, cheer me. Earth has no pleasure I would share. Yea, heaven itself were void and bare if thou, Lord, were not near me. Now that poem line there is, if I had, just imagine this big, beautiful house and and everything, in fact, Pastor Melius at the Heaven Conference a couple months ago, um, he gave this great picture and it was like, I can't remember how the analogy started, but it's like if, if, a, if a child uh, loses his mom or her mom to disease or a car accident or something, let's say, yeah, I think that's how it started. Their mom and the daughter were in a terrible car accident together and they were both in the hospital and the mom ended up dying. And, and the kid is just miserable and, and just wanted to go home. And so they finally get her out of the hospital and they get her home. And, this, and, and, and for whatever reason, let's just pretend they got like a settlement from the car wreck and they sold that dilapidated old garbage house they had. And they bought a mansion, just massive house. And they filled it up with everything, all the balloons they could buy from the gift store when you walk in the hospital and all the bouncy houses and stuffed toys and, and all the candy and food and everything possible that you could think would bring joy to a seven, eight-year-old. And the kid walks in the house and sees all these rooms and just kind of peeks in and keeps running around all, the, all over the house looking for something. And she like doesn't stop to play with the toys, doesn't jump on the bouncy house, doesn't eat the candy, but just runs around. And it finally comes back and just sits down and sulks. Why? Because all this stuff is nothing without mom. I'm looking for mom. Without mom, there's no joy here. And that's, this, that's what they're saying in this hymn. Earth has no pleasure I would share, yea, even heaven itself were void and bare, if thou, Lord, were not with me. All the joys of this world and all the joys of heaven are nothing if Jesus isn't with me. And should my heart for sorrow break, that is, if I face trials and sorrows in this life, my trust in thee can nothing shake. Thou art the portion I have sought. You're the, you're the one that I have sought after. We're going to get there in today's gospel reading that we seek after God. Thy precious blood my soul has bought. Stanza two. Yea, Lord, was thy twitch, thy rich bounty gave, my body, soul, and all I have in this poor life of labor. Lord, grant that I in every place may glorify thy lavish grace and help and serve my neighbor. There's the, the Lutheran theology is kind of peppered throughout this. 
So no matter where I go, that I would be helping and serving my neighbor. Let no false doctrine me beguile. So no false teaching deceive me and lead me into wrong, unbelief. Let Satan not my soul defile. Give strength and patience unto me to bear my cross and follow thee. So this is the disciple is given to bear, bear your cross and follow him. So give me strength and patience as I'm bearing my cross, whatever, whatever it is. And then three, uh, well, actually that, that stanza ends pretty cool. It goes, Lord Jesus Christ, my God and Lord, my God and Lord, in death, thy comfort still afford. So in my death, give me your comfort, which transitions to the stanza three, Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom, bear me home, that I may die unfearing. So the picture is us in the grave, in death, and the Lord's angels are coming to get us. So now we can face death unfearing because I know that when I die, the Lord's angels are gonna come get me. And in its narrow chamber, so death's narrow chamber, I mean, you guys have you've been there when we lower the body into the ground. It's a sad, narrow chamber there. In, in its narrow chamber, rather than being this like, this really despairing, solitude, isolation, loneliness, and fear, but it's being transformed now. It's a, it's a narrow chamber that's keeping my body safe, right? So we, we're, we're, we're keeping it. I don't want anybody else to hurt this. I want, I, I'm gonna put it down here so it's nice and safe. It's a precious treasure. I'm gonna bury it. And it's, no, one, no one bothers it. It's gonna be nice and safe here. It's not alone. It's okay. In its narrow chamber, keep my body safe and peaceful sleep until thy reappearing, and then from death, awaken me. So we close our eyes in death and we open our eyes. We're awakened by the angels at the resurrection that these mine eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior, my fount of grace, Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer attend, my prayer attend, and I will praise thee without end. So there's a book that was recently published by Cloria Publishing, um, Cloria Publishing puts a lot of our great Lutheran hymns to, uh, to, to books. You can buy these for cheap. Cloria, K-L-O-R-I-A. Children's books that are like a cardboard binding too. Um, but they, they, they portrayed this and the whole hymn, it's like a, it's a family with two little girls, like age eight and six. And the six-year-old gets leukemia and dies. And my daughter wants me to read this book at night. I can't get to that book. <laughs> It's terrible. You cannot read that book without crying. But because at the end, it's like the kids in heaven and mom and dad are there brought into heaven. The joy, being in the face of Jesus, reunited with family, and there's joy. Ah, so it's comfort in the face. It's true comfort in the face of true suffering rather than artificial comfort and removing suffering. And so everything's going to be great. Let's just talk about joy and, and happiness and earthly pleasure and you living your best life now and overcoming all your sin. But your life actually is full of suffering. Yeah, Elaine. If, if singing the hymn that hymn at church doesn't make you cry, if you listen to the final chorus of the St. John Passion by Bach, they sing that final stanza. Mm. It's in German, but you can tell what they're singing. That'll just do the wind. <laughs> That's right. Well, this is the thing. Like the um, hymns... Hymns are confessing the doctrine. So we're not after emotional manipulation. The, the, uh, the Lord's teaching, the Lord's comforting gospel is actually, it might, it might uh, hit our emotions. Um, so that's not bad, but um, 
It's the, it's the doctrine itself. It's the face of, it's real comfort in the face of real suffering instead of a denial or an avoidance of suffering. Was there a hand over here? Yeah. I was just going to say the beauty of those books is that the only words are the hymn. And the pictures are portraying what the hymn says. So your daughter's getting all that true, but she's reading the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, you grand, grandparents or parents out there, just Google this. Chloria. It helps if I have it legible. Um, and they have like a ton of Lutheran hymns set to, set to books. Anyway. All right. So uh, any other comments or questions on any of that? So we get through our theology of the cross and our teaching of suffering. And, and this is, it's helpful that you know this. For two reasons, maybe more, but at least two that I can think of right now. One, you are going to face suffering. And when you do, I'm not going to have time to teach you this stuff. I don't like walk out to people as they're mourning and say, Let me, let's talk about the theology of grief. You know? No, so the, 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 roots, the roots of faith are digging deep now. So precisely so that when suffering comes, the sun of suffering, the scorching sun of, of despair and all that doesn't actually kill the plant, right? So we're able, we're able to say in the face of suffering, man, I don't know why God's allowing this terrible cross, but I'm sure he's going to bring good out of it in some way that I can't see or possibly understand right now. That's a prayer of faith that only the Christian can say. And it even makes no sense because we're saying God loves me. So as a parent, I love my children. And if there's, if there's any way possible for me to remove suffering from them and their suffering, I'll do it. Even if it's pretending to kiss a boo-boo, like that magically makes pain go away. It does not. Apparently it does though, right? I'll do whatever it takes to make you stop crying. Not because your crying is annoying, because your crying actually hurts me, right? I want to, I want to make that stop. So when we take that same analogy and apply it to God and say, okay, God, I'm suffering here. I'm hurting. Take it away. Make it stop. You, if you can do it. So in the face of suffering, our, our faith, our ex, if our expectations of God are not this, but that he's going to magically take all the suffering away, then I can say, well, God doesn't love me or worse, he doesn't exist. I'm mad at God or he, I, I hate him. I'm done with him. There's, there is no God. So for you... To know it is helpful and to teach it to your, your loved ones. But then also, so many people that you know have that misunderstanding. And they are currently mad at God because mom, I had to watch my mom die in this terrible way. Or um, I just don't believe how a loving God could allow leukemia. Or whatever the issue is. Suffering, earthly suffering is a regular, repeated excuse for why an atheist holds the views that they have. Usually it's personal. It's not just the philosophical idea of suffering, but it's like in my life there has been suffering and I just don't, I just, I'm done with God if he can't take away my problems on my terms. And yet the scriptures are never saying that he will. The, the Jesus that we're believing is saying that he actually is coming into this world to die precisely so that our suffering will be eternal. And why does he allow, he allows terrible suffering to come upon young innocent children and then he'll allow the most terrible of people to live well into their 105s or whatever. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But wait, there's things we do know is that he loves us even though there is suffering. And then he's promised to bring good even out of suffering, especially out of suffering, because that's how he brings good. 
God so loved the world in this way, he gives his own son. So the prayer of the Christian is that we would, that we would have, we would lose our faith in the face of suffering, that he would use our suffering to strengthen our faith, um, and that we would know that, that whatever we're facing, is, it is for our good in some way. And, and you only pray that by faith, because it doesn't make any sense to the eye, which is Lazarus there, right? Um, looking at his life, why does, how does my life, how does, how does God love me in this? How can a loving God allow this? And he's looking over at the rich man with everything that he could possibly ever want. And why, why can't I have all that stuff? Well, don't worry about it. I know what I'm doing. Perhaps, perhaps if Lazarus was to be given everything the rich guy had, he would actually end up like the rich man did. Right? All right. Let's get into Luke chapter 12, verse 22, which is following on the heels of last week. Um, he's, he had given the whole, the parable of the rich man, the rich fool, right? Who, had, who, who said, hey, I'm going to build some more barns and so that um, he, could, he could eat, drink, and be merry for, for the rest of his life, and then he died. So verse 22 and Jesus said, he said to his disciples, that's you, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, nor, uh, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Tremendously comforting uh, words from our Lord for us to hear and to read for ourselves, really no matter what, you know, when you're not in anxiety, but especially if you are. I mean, who doesn't need to hear this like daily? Like no matter what's happening in the, in the world, um, politics, economics, wars, personal trials, Jesus is talking to you. Every day, it just, it hits you, right? So he's bringing you the same message. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So what kinds of things make us anxious? So you, so you, kind of, you dig out your anxiety by like the kind of stuff that when you can't sleep at night because you, I don't know, ate too much food or your kid woke you up at two o'clock to go to the bathroom and now you can't go back to sleep. Just saying, you're laying there. What, kind of, what comes to your mind, right? 
uh, your, your, your brain starts running down these different roads and trying to figure out certain things. The kind of stuff that you stress out about, so like when your wife is talking to you at dinner, you're thinking about something else um, and not really listening to what your kids are saying because you've got this anxiety that you're carrying with you that you're trying to figure out, right? What kinds of things do that to you? What kinds of things are you anxious about? That is, do you worry, dread, fear? Um, and then he just fills it in. Um, what, what will you eat? What you will eat or about your body. So what you eat, what you put in your body, nor about your body, what you'll put on, on the outside of the body. So it's, it's, always, it's always temporarily focused. Well, what am I gonna, how am I gonna keep this body alive and comfortable as long as I can? So what causes, why do those kinds of things make us anxious? To stick with the Lord's two examples, why is it that I'm anxious about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to, how to keep my body alive and healthy, and then how I'm going to clothe my body and, and have a house? I mean, don't, just, don't think about just buying clothes at the store, but like the whole concept of I have to have a house, so I have to have a mortgage, so I have to keep everybody warm in this house, so I have to, make a, I have, to have a job so I can pay my bills. So it's all kind of tied together there. Why do those things cause us anxiety? The, the inevitability of death? So, but, so I think when we're, when we're anxious about something, we're always trying to figure something out. What are we trying to figure out? Trying to figure out how we can do it ourselves. How we can do it ourselves. That's why you're anxious. Because ultimately when something's purely out of your hands, like you don't really get anxious about stuff of which you have absolutely no control. Um, what's going to happen in this particular sports game? You have a fan, you're, I'm a fan of this team, whatever. I mean, you're not anxious about it, right? You, you might have hopes. But really anxiety in the same way of like, if I think though that my, the food that I need to buy and the, the, my job and all the things that I have, if I, if I think it's somehow purely based on me, that causes me tremendous anxiety because I think I am independent, right? And then he says, um, don't be anxious about those things because life is more than food and body more than clothing. So for the world especially, what, what is life if not those things? And that's what this, the rich man was saying the same thing. Um, the rich man, his, his, um, everything produced plentifully. His, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And yet, what, what else does life consist in? Except for what I put in my body and what I put on my body. And where I put my body, where I travel. What, are, what, are, what kinds of things? It's all about like, my flesh and, and bringing satisfaction, pleasure to my flesh, avoiding suffering, right? But life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Let's see. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse like the rich man from last week's parable. They don't have a barn to put stuff in and yet God feeds them because they are dependent fully on God. Right? The early bird gets the worm, and yet the worm still has to crawl across your pavement. Who puts the worm there? Who makes the bird able to even see it? Who lets the bird fly down and grab it, right? So we, we always think, well, yeah, pastor, the early bird gets, or uh, God, God feeds the birds, but the bird still has to be the early, the early bird. Actually, it has to work hard or whatever. We're still we're so focused on it. It's ultimately up to me. Yeah, Keith? So that's hard, that illustration of the, the rich guy of the, the 
at all. You know, his well has got a, got a buffer crop. So his storage facilities aren't adequate enough to hold the crop. So he needs to get some additional storage facilities, right? So is that a like Are you asking me if you should do away with your savings account and cash everything out and give it to the church? Yes. No, of course not. And this is actually, so I think this is, this is, a, this is key for both, for last week's Bible study topic, this one, because he's going to come back to um, sell everything you have, just in case they don't get there. Yeah, it's verse 33. Sell your possessions and give them to the needy. And also today's gospel lesson, the rich man of Lazarus. Is it wrong to... To, to have savings, to think for the future. Is, is that what Jesus is after? Is that all he cares about? Jesus is saying, you shouldn't have savings. If you really had faith, you wouldn't have savings. No, it's not what he's saying. What's he at? Or it, so it, maybe the answer is found in, why did the rich man go to hell? If the rich man went to hell because he was rich, then everything else in the New Testament is a lie. So Jesus, nowhere does Jesus say, it is finished as long as you give away all your stuff. In which case, it wouldn't be finished, right? It is finished means finished. The problem is when my, when I, when my hands become full of stuff, like I want to keep, and our sinful flesh always wants to go the way of Gollum or a raccoon, right? Like surround, surround ourselves with shiny things that we think will satisfy and just keep searching after those things. And we, some, we can become so fixated on those things that we leave faith in the dust. It happens subtly, perhaps. That's what's so brilliant about uh, both The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings kind of show this, this slow idolatry that grows regarding the ring. If you're not a Hobbit or Lord of the Rings fan, I apologize. But the whole, the whole concept of this ring starting off as this innocent, simple thing, and now it's becoming the central focus for an individual to the detriment of everything else, Right? And that is, that's what Jesus is after, is that you will walk away from the faith if this becomes your God. And it wants to become your God. And you all know this, right? Because in our, in, our, in our life as a Christian, we're saints and sinners, and my saintly self knows better. And I know myself, and we always know that my flesh is always after this stuff. Because my flesh thinks it's independent. It doesn't really believe in God like it should, so it says, I need to kind of hedge my bets. And yeah, I believe in God to provide for me, but I also want just to make sure, <laughs> just to be on the safe side. So the, the idea of having savings and saving for the for future and all that, it's not, it's not a problem. It's a problem if that's where you put your, your hope and your trust. Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So don't trust in those things. And then when you no longer trust in it to use the money, if I don't put my, my love and trust in it, and that's not, that's not where my joy is coming from. So think to the rich man in today's gospel. His joy is coming from only that. If my joy is actually somewhere else, specifically from the Lord Jesus, and I stand before him as one who's justified, I'm able to live in this world, whether I have or I don't have, with joy no matter what comes. And I'm detached from my stuff so that I can give it away. I can take care of the rich guy at my gates. I mean, he's not just a rich, it's not just a poor guy. He's a poor guy at the rich man's gates. It's like the guy's dogs, where, where's, what's a good, Fido, where's Fido? Oh, he's down at the gate licking the poor guy's sores again. Again, we gotta be sure to sanitize his tongue when he comes back inside. Because he, he's well aware that the poor guy is, it's not that there's poor in the world. 
It's that poor guy is at his house and he's not helping him. That's not why he goes to hell. Because the poor, the poor guy, who knows what life of sin could have got him in that situation, right? Have you ever challenged you to do this? I mean, maybe not, depending on where you are when and how healthy you're feeling. <laughs> if you've been working out and you carry a gun, maybe. Uh, I've done this a couple of times with like homeless people. Uh, it's always like whenever there's a conference, the youth, the youth gathering always attracts homeless people, right? Because they're like, hey, all these people just heard a sermon about being generous and they, and they, they appear magically, give me your money. So you know what, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna give you any money, but I'm gonna buy you a sandwich from McDonald's um, if you'll talk to me the whole way there. All right, so we're walking. So wh- why are you homeless? <laughs> well, um, heroin. That was the, both, exam, both conversations I have is the same thing. Drugs led me to steal from my family, cut me off from my family, and they abandoned me because I kept abusing them and stealing from them. Now they're like fully repentant in a way. Like they, they're well aware of their addictions that killed their, ran off their family, chased away all their friends, left them with no one left in this world. Uh, so it wasn't that this, this poor miss is an example, right? So, and if, and if, the Lord, if the Lord left us to ourselves, we would probably go the same way, right? How often would, if we followed our own sins and our own stomachs, and the way that our sinful flesh wants, we could end up there too, right? So repent, yes, l- lest you likewise perish, would the, the Lord would say. But this poor guy, it's not like he's without sin. In fact, the fact that he dies, we know that he has sin. He could be homeless and, and destitute because of just his addictions and his terrible stuff that he had done his whole life. And maybe the rich guy has done all good stuff. Maybe the rich guy used to take care of him. And he finally just like, oh, I'm not helping this guy anymore. He's self-justified. If I, if I keep taking care of him, he's not going to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. Both, we're looking at the men. We're looking at the men and whether or not they were good enough. So the rich man is in hell because he didn't do enough to help the poor guy. That would mean salvation comes by works. And the poor guy went to heaven because he was just poor. That would be salvation apart from Christ purely based on me being poor, right? So that's certainly not what Jesus is saying because he's on the way to the cross, and he sandwiched this, he sandwiched this teaching in, in Luke 16 from today's gospel. Like he's right, he is right there. He is, he is going to the cross. Um, so w- what Jesus is doing is he's trying to show us our sin or kill our old Adam. Show us that we, we deserve to be like the poor guy in, in hell. So Keith likes to ask questions and then leave. You're running away? <laughs> oh, good. That gets me back on track. What time is it? Five, five minutes. Um, all right, so uh, let's see. Consider the ravens. God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? Uh, which of you, so remember the sparrows back in verse six of Luke 12. So you're more, more value than the sparrows. God knows all the hairs on your head, just as he knows the sparrows and takes care of them. Same thing here. He keeps going back to the birds to show like, what, Birds have no, no value, seemingly no value, and yet God takes care of them. How much more is he going to take care of you? And which of you, by being anxious, by worrying and dreading these things, how much can you add a single hour to your span of life? In actuality, what does, what does your growing anxiety actually do to your life? It shortens it, right? So by being anxious, you're trying to add life, and you're just, you're just chipping away at it. 
If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest, the rest, the rest of your life? So think back to Luther's morning and evening prayer. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things, the rest. Because it's all making me anxious. So for you, whatever is making you anxious, you pray that prayer in the morning and the evening, and whenever you say the rest, all right, whenever you say into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things, that all things there, you want to insert whatever the thing is that's causing you anxiety. It might be your body and soul, but... Um, Right? Because that's, that's what we're after here. That's, that's the rest. Um, your anxiety affects nothing. So we commend it all to him. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his, in his glory was not arrayed like these. He covered in all of his fine garments. It was just a flabby old king body. <laughs> right? So he's, you can cover him up with, uh, with all these things. But ultimately, it's not like a lily that is intrinsically beautiful. God takes care of them, so why, of course he's going to take care of you. Um, fear of tomorrow. So this, the anxiety of what am I going to eat? What am I going to put on my body? How am I going to survive? It's thinking about tomorrow and my, my independence tomorrow in such a way that it paralyzes me today. So I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm unable to function. I just can't go through life. I can't make any decisions. I can't... I don't, want, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to, I don't want to buy, I hate to buy milk today because, or maybe I need to buy a lot of milk today because the price is going to go up tomorrow and I, I need to have money tomorrow, inflation. I, I just, I, everything has becomes complicated by this worry about tomorrow, right? The, the birds and the flowers don't worry about that. Um, and we don't worry about tomorrow so that it paralyzes us today. And in fact, when we're thinking, when we, live, when we live life more like that, we're actually freed up to love our neighbor with our stuff. Because I'm not trying to, I'm not as worried about tomorrow and making sure I've got more and more and more and more and more for tomorrow. Because you're never going to have enough to satisfy the old sinful self. If God clo- so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. We've talked about little faith before. What does it mean to be, oh, you of little faith? What's little faith? Oh, you of little faith. So, so I'm, not, I'm, not trust, I'm not trusting enough. So, my, so now my faith is like this muscle that I need to strengthen and grow. It puts it back on me. If I could just, if I could just have more faith. Well, the, the Greek and Hebrew mind way of thinking about this is little faith is faith in a little thing. So my faith is the same. What changes is the object of the faith. So to have little faith is a person to have faith in myself, my stuff, little things. But to have great, and so this is what, whenever uh, Peter falls into the water and Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, you're putting your faith in yourself, not in me. Time and time again, every, you go through every time Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, it's, because you're putting, it's not because your faith is small or big, it's because your faith is in the small thing. Your faith is just what it is. It becomes big or small depending on the object of the faith. So the Lord is turning us away from our, our little faith in ourselves and fixing it on him a great thing. 
And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them anyway. Instead, seek the kingdom, and these will be added to you. Um, you know, I'll, I'll pick up there uh, next week, but just one more note on verse 33. Sell your, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money. So back to Keith's question, um, the, the idea there is, because you can always ask, well, how much? So do I, if I give away absolutely everything so that I'm completely poor and everybody, I mean, everybody actually couldn't do that. If everybody gave away their stuff and gave it to the poor, then constantly transferring balances, right? That's not what he's after. He's after not giving you more to do, but trying to free you from your stuff because it's a God that's gonna try to run you away. He is ultimately the one who sells all that he has to give it to you. So there's the cross in this is that he's not, he's not trying to give you a way to climb yourself into heaven. He's showing you your tremendous need, and he's the one who sells everything. He gave his only son, right? So we'd have eternal life. Let's, uh, let's pick up with, with, verse, uh, with a seeking after God in verse 29, and the king, what it means for us to seek the kingdom next week. The Lord be with you.